Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Good morning. Uh, Today's Bible reading comes to you from Jonah chapter 1 verses 1 to 10. So I suggest you put your life-saving devices on. So Jonah flees from the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. Then we jump to Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. And Jonah goes to Nineveh. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Then we're jumping to Jonah chapter 4 verses 1 to 2. Jonah's anger at the Lord's compassion. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to foretell by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Thank you. Thanks, Terry. 
Whoa, blow my ears out. You can tell Terry was a school teacher. I can just imagine myself in her class listening to her tell stories. She's got a great, uh, a great storytelling way. So thank you. Let's pray. Great and loving God, we thank you uh, for life. We thank you that we can be here together. This morning we come uh, from different backgrounds. We come with different pain, different issues in our life, with different sicknesses. Lord, we come because we want to be amongst God's people. We want to hear from you. We want to touch from you. We want to be guided by you. We want to be led deeper in a relationship with you. I pray that all these things, you would, you would meet us in our point of need this morning. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, um, it's difficult these days to know what our responsibilities are to, uh, to our neighbours and to people living in the cities and suburbs in which we live. Uh, some of you might be familiar with the African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, we like, I think a lot of us like the sentiment of this proverb. Feel free to, to turn your seats around too, by the way. Don't, you don't have to sit sort of facing the, uh, facing the table, so be a bit more relaxed. You know, not too relaxed, but uh, <laughs> it's a bit hard to relax on these seats, isn't it? I can guarantee you no one's going to be sort of drifting off to sleep this morning. Not because of my message, but because of the seats. So we're sort of familiar with the sentiment of this proverb, um, and we like it, I think, even though we live in large Western urban cities. In fact, I recently saw this proverb quoted uh, on a website for an Australian Playgroup Association report. The writer of the report, report obviously uh, liked the sentiment, thought that it spoke to what the association was on about. I'm not sure, though, that we really live up to the main ideal of this proverb as it speaks to the idea that every person who actually lives in a village has a role to play in a child's development. It also suggests that everyone, and not just the child's parents, are meant to encourage and even warn the child if they see them in danger and uh, even tell them off if they see them doing something wrong or foolish. Shortly after coming back from Malawi, uh, which is a small country in, in Central Africa, uh, where, where we lived for about 20 years, I was actually confronted by a dilemma that this proverb raises. I, uh, I was actually riding my bike back from Whitley College, where I was teaching uh, in Parkville, and I noticed a young boy playing on the, uh, on the side of the road outside some apartments. I felt conflicted. I saw this young boy playing near the road and I wanted to stop my bike and I wanted to go over to him and I wanted to warn him and even lead him away from the road. But I also thought of my, I thought, well, what's my responsibility here to his parents? What's my responsibility to him? But at the same time I was thinking this, I also thought of, of uh, and wondered how people who were watching, how people around would actually view what I was doing when they saw me doing that? Would they see my actions as good or would they see my actions as something else? There's a term that I, of, for what I experienced that day and it's known as the, the bystander effect. 
I'm sure that uh, many of you have got your own stories of being confronted by a situation in which you've known not how to respond. And because of that, you've just remained paralyzed or just remained a bystander. In large modern, West, in large modern cities like Melbourne, where people don't know each other, the bystander effect is very common. But as a church, a church who's seeking to be on mission in the world, we need to think more about our responsibilities to our neighbours and we need to think about the level of interest that we should have for the well-being of people in the suburbs and in the city in which we live. And so the Bible actually challenges the idea, it challenges the idea that God's people can just be bystanders. Instead, it promotes the idea that we are to actively seek the welfare of our city and our neighbours, no matter whether they are of the same ethnicity uh, religion, political, social, generational, even sexual orientation as us, which is a challenge. And the reason for this is because God himself is not a bystander. He actively seeks the welfare of humanity, even at great cost to himself. So, but as a church, I think we have some barriers uh, to overcome in order to seek the well-being of our city and our community. And one of our, own, one of our barriers is our own fear of getting involved. Our fear of actually crossing the street. Another barrier, perhaps subconsciously, is our own biases and our own prejudices. But as a Christian community, we also have some advantages, I think, over individuals in our community. And research shows that, that the bystander effect is, is actually powerful. It actually affects us when people are alone or by themselves. But actually, the bystander effect is significantly reduced when a group of people see an issue together. That's when people begin to, to, to step in. When we see an issue together, we can step in. One of my favorite stories uh, in the Bible is the story of Jonah. And I would have loved to have read the whole four chapters to you this morning. It's just a great story. Um, it's a well-known story. Even if you've had little Christian experience, um, we, a lot of people know it. Even, uh, it's known even in other religious circles like in Islam. But it's known by a lot of people because in the story, a guy gets swallowed by a fish. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, the main point of the story is actually missed because we often just think about a guy getting swallowed by a fish. And it's a shame because I think Jonah has something to say to us about how we view ourselves living in relationship with people whom we don't have a great deal in common. So let me recap the story of Jonah for those who can only remember that it's about a guy who gets swallowed by a fish. The story starts with God telling Jonah to get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and warn the people there, who aren't actually Hebrews, they're not part of his own tribe. They're actually pagans who worshipped a foreign god, or foreign gods. And so he's to go there though and warn them about God's approaching judgment, about the way they're living. I actually like the way Eugene Peterson translates this story in the message translation. In verse 2, God says to Jonah, Up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh, preach to them. They're in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. But instead of doing what God, God told him to do, Jonah 
hopped on a ship and headed in the opposite direction to a place called Tarshish. He, didn't, he, didn't, uh, he did this not because he was afraid of actually going and talking to the Assyrians uh, about, about God's message. He actually went in the opposite direction because he didn't seek, he didn't want, he didn't seek the Assyrians' welfare. He hoped, in fact, that God would judge them and he hoped that God would actually wipe them out. <laughs> you see, because the Assyrians were his people's enemies and uh, they had a different culture and they worshipped other gods and they were also extremely violent and had acted quite, quite, uh, quite violently towards his own people, Israel. But not long into the sea voyage, they encountered this huge storm. And the storm was so large that all the sailors, even the old and experienced ones, they were terrified because they saw that it was no ordinary storm. And they, so, they were so terrified that they started doing everything they could to save the ship and also to save the lives of the people on board. But what we need to note in the story, and which is really important, is that all the sailors, all the sailors were working together for the common good. You see, they're all seeking the welfare of every person on the ship. They're all willing to call upon their God and they're willing to jettison the cargo and even take a cut in wages in order to save the whole group. Everyone was involved. Everyone, that is, except for Jonah. Instead of helping, Jonah was below deck, asleep. And it wasn't that he was unaware of the storm. You know, have you ever been in a small boat or even a ship when there's a mild storm going on? Can you sort of, do, do, can you just sleep through that? Only a very solid sleeper could do that. You can't miss a storm going on. So Jonah is not oblivious to the storm. He's indifferent. Eventually it's noticed that Jonah's missing from from offering a helping hand. And so the, pa- the captain, who's a pagan, uh, uh, also a worshipper of other gods, he goes down below and says to him, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Now, in, in the original language that this was written in, which is Hebrew, the captain speaks these words to Jonah. He says to him these words in Hebrew. He says, Kumlek. And this phrase is the same phrase. We don't get it in the English translation, but it's actually the same phrase that God used when he called Jonah to go to the Ninevites and warn them. Because in that first verse, he says, get up, arise and go. This is the same word that uh, the, the captain's using the same words exactly that God used. And so it would have been this great shock for Jonah to hear the words that God had used to speak to him coming out of the mouth of this pagan captain. Can you see the irony here in the situation? You see, God had sent his prophet Jonah to point pagans towards God. But here in this part of the story, it's actually a pagan captain who's pointing God's prophet back to God. But even that doesn't jolt Jonah back into action. And so the next thing the sailors do is they begin to draw lots to find out who's actually responsible for this storm because it was no ordinary storm. 
And guess what? Surprise, surprise, Jonah draws the short straw. And so he tells them who he is and why he is running away from God, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And so on, appearing, on, on hearing this uh, testimony, the sailors be, began to be more terrified even than the storm. But what perplexed them was the question of why Jonah would not help by calling on his God, this God of heaven, of land and of sea, or actually do anything else for the welfare of all the people on the boat to save them. Why, why, wouldn't, he, why wouldn't he do anything? And so there's another contrast that we're meant to see here in the story. And so we have the sailors on one hand who are willing to use every resource that they have to save the ship and everyone else on board. They're willing to call on their gods. They've been willing to row, you know, they've been willing to sort of haul on those sails and haul on the sea anchor. And they've, they've been willing to do this together. But then we have on the other hand, God's prophet who won't even lift a hand, who won't do anything to help. And so the reality is that God's prophet and these pagan sailors are actually in the same boat. The safety of all actually depends on, on what each one does. So the Christian writer Jacques Ellul, he says that in, in life, non-Christians and Christians are, are actually also in the same boat. We are in the same storms, subject to the same perils, and we essentially want the same outcomes. You see, today, if a community is troubled by crime, addiction, disease, climate change, unemployment, if the economy and the social order are breaking down or are under stress, if families are experiencing violence, if young people are experiencing hopelessness, if people in general are experiencing loneliness, then we're actually all impacted by that. We're literally in the same boat. Loneliness, taking out one of those issues, is at pandemic levels in, in our society today. And you might be experiencing that this morning. In a survey that was published last week by, by Time Out, Sydney was named the third worst city in the world for making new friends. Almost three quarters of the Sydney siders surveyed said that they found it difficult or impossible to make new friends. Let's not think that Sydney has an issue. It's not just Sydney that has an issue. I think every city in Australia is close behind, including Melbourne. So on this ship in the Mediterranean Sea, Jonah is in the same boat and in the same neighbourhood as these sailors. And a storm that threatens just one person actually also threatens the whole community. And so can you see the point that's being made here? Often we think that this story is just about God sending his prophet to warn people about an impending judgment. But what we need to see in the story as we listen to it and as we read it carefully is that, is that um, the pagan sailors, the, uh, the, the people in the story, the Ninevites also, are actually more attuned and aligned with God and God's big vision for the welfare of the city and the whole community than God's own prophet. And this is the message we're meant to get from the whole book of Jonah. God 
is the God of the whole world. What is not being suggested here is that we just be pragmatic. It's not suggesting that we should get on with people where we live or things won't go well. That might be true, but that's not the message of Jonah. There's a deeper theological reason for seeking the welfare of people. It is that we are all co-humans and they're all made in the image of God and therefore all are infinitely precious to God. In Genesis 9.6 it says, Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made humankind. So you see, unlike the sailors on the boat, Jonah is not bringing all of his resources to the table to assist the suffering of his fellow sailors. He is not drawing on his own spiritual resources. He's not praying for help. He's asleep. He's not telling the sailors about his relationship with God, with this God. Instead, he's silent. He's not throwing anything overboard that he has or helping others to do the same. In reality, he's not loving and serving the practical needs of his neighbours. But this is exactly what he is supposed to do. And it's exactly what we are supposed to do. You see, as followers of Jesus, we can't be disinterested bystanders. We must get involved even at great cost to ourselves because this is what God does in the world. He gets involved. In Jeremiah 29, verse 4 to 7, Jeremiah the prophet spoke these words to the people who had been dragged into exile as a punishment, a punishment for abandoning him. In Babylon, they were, they were put to work by their captors. And I can imagine these Hebrew exiles, they, they would have got very involved, well, they would have got involved, but very reluctantly, you know, dragging their feet to work. They would have had an attitude problem with their neighbours, wouldn't they? They would have had little interest in the well-being of the people around them. But the prophet Jeremiah challenges them about this when he says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Friends, there's a big message in the story of Jonah for us today about our need to seek the welfare of the city, the suburbs and the neighbourhoods in which we've been placed. And I want us to pause now. I want to pause in the sermon and give you an opportunity to take a moment at your tables to discuss a few questions about the story so that we can have a a deeper encounter with it. If you're watching on home, you can uh, use our, we're going to go to the Mentimeter, you can use the Mentimeter, the questions are on the Mentimeter, and we're going to have them on the screen here as well. But I'd like to to give you an opportunity to just talk at your table and discuss these questions, and you can pump the, uh, the answers that you have into the Mentimeter. Let's go to the first question, please. Um, oh, once, well, yep. 
So we'll, this is the first question that I want you to discuss. Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh and warn them of God's pro- approaching judgment? Use the Mentimeter. Uh, we'll just go a bit smaller for a moment so they can get that QR code. Yeah. Use the Mentimeter, but I want you to discuss this. We don't have too, ma- too many minutes to discuss, so try and discuss it fairly quickly. Okay, well done. Thanks for, thanks for pumping some of those things in. Yeah, he was indifferent. Good. Pride, scared, selfishness, hatred. Mm. Okay, we'll go to the second question. Why didn't Jonah assist the sailors or use his resources to help save the crew and the ship? Why didn't Jonah assist the sailors or use his resources to help save the crew and the ship? So the same thing, if you can discuss this and put it into your Mentimeter. Okay, racist. <laughs> Refusal. Not awake. What are common problems that we face together? Okay. What, are our, what, what ways are we in the same boat with people in our suburb? What are the problems that we face together? Whether you're in this church or not in this church or no matter your religious background, no matter your political background, what, are, what problems do we share together? Just Be creative. Yeah, Isolation. Doing chaos. Out COVID, and yep. And sharing. Good. Um, Seeking connection. Yeah. Yep. Laziness. <laughs> I don't know if laziness is a, is a thing that we share together. Perhaps it is. We'll do one more refresh there. Thanks. What will they tell us? We might be Expensive chicken palmers. Thanks for that one. I thought they were only $12. Environment issues. Yeah, good. High petrol prices. Privacy. Shark attacks. Well, I don't know about that. Anyway, let's go to the fourth question. The fourth question is... Okay, we need to listen for the quote. We need to listen for the quote. Jeremiah said to Hebrew exiles, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. What does it mean to seek the peace and prosperity of our city today as a Christian community? Thinking about that quote. What does it mean to seek the peace and prosperity of our city today as a Christian community? Mm. Okay, we've got a couple of minutes and then we'll keep going. How do we seek the welfare of our community today? That's the question we're asking. Pray for it. Good. Connect to each other, including non-Christians. Yep, what else? Okay, so we've got a few answers here. We need to be involved with the community, not be, not be bystander. Be the change you want to see, okay? Reach out. Share God's love, showing compassion. Yep, be peacemakers. Excellent. We'll do one more refresh, thanks, Ewan. Okay, a couple more there. Can you, does it, can you um, scroll down a bit? Join community groups. That's a great idea. Does, can you scroll down a bit? Or does it scroll? Be in community. Doesn't scroll. 
Well, whatever those people said at the bottom was fantastic. I fully agree. Okay, thank you. Thanks for participating in that. We've got one more. We've, we've got one more. Um, yeah, you can. One more uh, time to get together around some questions. But let me begin. Let me just carry on a bit more. So I uh, appreciate the feedback that you've given and the discussion you've had. Eventually, the, uh, the sailors came to understand that, the God, that God had sent this storm due to Jonah's refusal to go to Nineveh. And so he told them, well, the only way to stop this storm is to throw me into the sea. And uh, so they did that. Uh, they, were very reluctantly, they very reluctantly did that. And so Jonah, as we know, was swallowed by a large fish or a whale. And in the, in the stomach of the whale, his heart begins to change. But it's only a partial change of heart, as we can see. He agrees to go to Nineveh and warn them, but his heart's not in it because he still doesn't understand what God is on about in the world at large. After Jonah delivers his message to the pagan people of, to the pagan people of Nineveh, they actually respond and they turn from their evil ways to God. And this makes Jonah furious. And he loses his temper and he yells at God. I actually like the way that uh, Eugene Peterson translates this. He says to God in anger, I knew, you were, I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. It sounds like a comedy sketch, doesn't it? Can you imagine shouting that at God? I knew you were sheer grace and mercy. So God, if you won't kill them, kill me. I'm better off dead, he says. He's a bit like Boris Johnson, who would rather be dead in a ditch than see the Ninevites actually turn and, and be forgiven. You see, this is the reason Jonah didn't go to Nineveh. He didn't really understand God's nature and he didn't understand God's purposes in the world. You see, he thought that God was just for him and his people alone and he didn't realise that it's God's desire that none should perish. So exhausted now, Jonah then now goes outside of the city and sits down and he begins to brood. And he was still hoping, I think, in his heart of hearts that God would sort of send some sort of fiery judgment on the Ninevites. But instead of that, God causes this vine to grow up overnight over, over Jonah's head and it shades him from the sun the next day. And then God, though, sends this worm and it eats the vine, and the vine, the vine withers and dies. And Jonah is furious again. He's got a bit of an anger problem, doesn't he, old Jonah? And he prays again and asks God to die. And this time God speaks to him, but not in a command, not through a storm, not in the belly of a whale, or even through a plant, but through a series of, of questions. And he gets Jonah to reflect on all that's happened. And he asks Jonah this. He says, you've been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. 
And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and for so many animals? Basically, God is telling Jonah that his priorities are all wrong. And that he, and he's asking him, he's asking him if he loves what he loves. And so the, Jonah, the, the book of Jonah actually finishes without any further response from Jonah to these questions. It's, it's really left with this question, this open question. And so many people think that actually leaving out Jonah's response uh, to God is actually quite deliberate because the writer wants us, wants the readers or the hearers of this story to actually uh, answer the question for themselves regarding the plight and welfare of the people that they live amongst. People who cannot tell their left hand from their right. So the question for us this morning is how do you respond to God's question here at the end of this story? I mean, you personally, how do you respond to that? But also as a group, how do we respond to it? You see, the parallel story to the story of Jonah in the New Testament is the story of the Good Samaritan, which Jesus told uh, people after someone asked him a question about who is my neighbour. So the Good Samaritan story is a story about a Samaritan who is from a uh, people group who were despised by the Jews And this Samaritan was journeying through a desolate place and a dangerous place when he comes across a Jewish man who had been beaten up, attacked, attacked and beaten up and robbed and left wounded and dying on the road. And so in the story, a Jewish priest and a religious leader pass him by. They're essentially bystanders who don't get involved. But the Samaritan takes him to a place where he can be nursed back to health And he pays the bill at his own expense. And so when we we know we're quite familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan, aren't we? And so we can get the idea that neighbourliness is really responding to people in their moments of crisis. But actually the story that we get from Jonah, and also I think the, the main idea that we're meant to get from Jesus, even from the Good Samaritan, about being a true neighbour, is, is not, it's not just about seeking people's... Um, It's not just about helping people in their crisis moments. It's about seeking the welfare of the city and the welfare of people all of the time, not just in crisis moments. And so I believe this is how we're to be orientated towards people in the Mooney Valley and in the city of Melbourne and in the suburbs in which we live as well. Because this is actually how God is orientated to us and to the world in which we live We need to grasp afresh the words of God to Jonah when he says that he is a God of sheer grace and mercy who uses all his resources for the salvation and well-being of people. In the story of Jonah, God is basically saying to Jonah, I'm sad and I'm weeping about this city of Nineveh. Why aren't you? It's another prophet sent by Jesus, God's own son, who weeps over the city of Jerusalem instead of being angry with it for rejecting him. Even on the cross, Jesus is still not angry and is not bitter with people. In fact, he cries out, Father, 
Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They don't know their left hand from their right hand, do they? So Jesus is the true prophet from Moses, who Moses said would come, rather. He is different to Jonah because Jonah actually went outside the city hoping that God would bring judgment on people, whereas Jesus was actually taken outside the city and crucified so that God could extend his mercy and forgiveness on all people. This is our God who uses every resource available for our welfare, for the welfare of people. And so at the end of the story, there's that, uh, that invitation. We're, we're invited to provide the conclusion in place of Jonah. You see, today, I'm Jonah and you are Jonah. We are Jonah. And so the question that was asked of Jonah, it's actually still hanging there for us. Therefore, I want us to spend a few moments again in, in, uh, in response to the next question. At your tables, discuss these two questions and plug them into the many meters, please. I think we'll go to the, the many meter now. Can you plug that out on the WhatsApp page? Done? Great. Okay, so here's the first question. Who should we seek the welfare of in our city today? Ourselves? Just our Christian community? Uh, people who are like us? Or the whole community? That's the question. Okay, well done, everyone. Okay, and now we'll go to the, the second part of that question. This is a little harder. This will take a little bit more thought. What resources should we bring from ourselves for the welfare of the city? What should we bring? What did God bring? And then ask yourselves, what should we bring? What resources should we bring for the welfare of the city? And this is a word cloud, so you can pump that in yourself. Our own minds, what we can, everything oh, ourselves, okay. our gifts. Yep. To our hearts. Anything else? Our gifts. You might be able to just answer for yourself personally. It might be something that God's challenging Our you faith. about personally. It doesn't have to be just your table. Bring everything we have. Yeah. Gifts, time, talents. Beautiful. Fruit of the Spirit, commitment, a willing heart. Knowledge. One more refresh, thanks, Ewan. And encouragement, each other. Resilience, our faith, our time. Good. Excellent. Well... Thank you for participating as the band uh, comes up to lead us in our final song. Let us, um, let's reflect on the people that we've nominated as people whom we should seek welfare for. Okay, we've, we've actually nominated everyone, our whole city. It's a big, uh, big call. Not just ourselves, not just our community. We've nominated them. So what does that mean? Let's consider also the resources that we've mentioned that, uh, that we're going to use in caring for their welfare. God used every resource available to him in seeking our welfare. He didn't remain distant. He didn't write his message on a giant billboard in the sky. He didn't just send a book. He didn't just send prophets. In the end, God comes himself in Jesus 
and gives himself as a resource so that people can have life. So let us consider this and ask ourselves, what can we bring with God's help today so that we are not mere bystanders, but people who seek the welfare of the city and our neighbours? Thanks, Perry.